Welcome to the Public Morality. In this final installment of guest hosts interviewing me about my recent book, The Radical Declaration, An Enlightened American Idea, I am pleased and honored to be joined by award-winning journalist, author, and friend of the Public Morality, Todd Brewster. Welcome to the Public Morality with Byron Williams. And that's not Byron Williams' voice that you're hearing right now. It's the voice of Todd Brewster, whom you may have heard on the show once in a while, uh, a good friend of Byron's. And today, Byron is the subject, not the host, of our show. Uh, he has very graciously allowed me to come on and be the, the, the voice uh, that guides the conversation. And I am I'm thrilled uh, to um, be doing that uh, and honored, as a matter of fact. Um, we're going to be talking about a book that Byron's written. Um, uh, called uh, the Radical Declaration, and the Declaration then the title refers to the Declaration of Independence, and it's a perfect topic for um, uh, July Fourth. Um, so I welcome you, Byron, to the Public Morality. It is an honor to be with the descendant of John Vicenda, known as the Voice of God. So I'm just I'm just thrilled to be sitting here with Todd Brewster. <laughs> so I have been honored to have a look at the manuscript of this book that you've written. I, I am extremely impressed by it. Before we get to the to the nuts and bolts of how you came up with the idea and all, uh, uh, in a capsule, tell the uh, listeners exactly what you mean by the radical the declaration. Well, it 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 just started um, when I was, uh, of course, I was teaching as an adjunct at Wake Forest University, and I posed the question. Uh, is the Declaration of Independence radical? And uh, no one said anything. Then finally, two bold souls said, no, it's not radical. One said it's, it's not radical because they borrowed heavily from the Enlightenment and the Magna Carta. And another student said it's not radical. It's just words on a piece of paper written for a particular moment in time. It has no relevance to today. I then proceeded to go on about a 20-minute soliloquy. Um, for, I just threw away the Socratic method that I use in my classroom, and I just went on this 20-minute soliloquy and, and why the document was radical. And then it was dead silence. And then finally one student said, uh, Professor Williams, have you ever thought about writing about this? <laughs> <laughs> and that's sort of how it came about. But this, but this radical declaration, and, and to me, uh, radical because we are a country formed on an idea. I mean, we're not like, you're Christian, you're Christian, you're Catholic, you're Catholic, you're Lutheran, or you're white, I'm black. No, we're, we're not formed on any other criteria other than an idea. I mean, that has not been done before or since. And the mere fact that it hasn't been done before or since, by definition, you know, makes it radical. And so um, it's an idea that says we are, 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 uh, believe that the people have certain rights. Not, they don't come from the king, Magna Carta. And, and it's not an idea floated around through the Enlightenment. We're going to put this in place. And so it's an idea that hinges on liberty and equality. Now, as you well know, and I think we've already had this conversation in the times you've been on the public morality, there's this thing called paradox that sort of gets in the way of the, the whole liberty and equality project. So that's, uh, so that, 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 that's it. So it's how, how are we navigating through the American narrative um, based on the idea of liberty and equality instigated by the unstated uh, uh, goal of paradox? Well, now, it's, you mentioned paradox because it's interesting, of course, that if you were alive in the 18th century uh, when the Declaration was written, um, not, you wouldn't have been considered to be part of the, um, the, the paradigm that, that, that Jefferson was writing about, right? Absolutely. No, no, I, 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 absolutely. I mean, I, I, you know, that's a fascinating uh, piece that you bring up uh, for a number of reasons. Number one, that... Uh, they wrote a document based on liberty and equality. And if you think about the annihilation of Native Americans, you think about enslaving African Americans. So um, it's a document that says all are created equal, 
based on liberty and equality, yet what, what actually was put in place was subjective liberty and therefore inequality. Now, but, but the, the irony to that is we've often talked about, well, it was a document written for white male landowners. And, it, and though that's an, that was never stated, that's, that was probably an unstated uh, goal, given the fact that a lot of states had that white male landowner was the criteria for, for the voting franchise. But what's interesting about that is that the overwhelming majority of Americans living today would have been disenfranchised if the white male landowner um, ethos was still in play. Um, all people of color would be disenfranchised. All women would be disenfranchised. And depending on the statistics of the varying states, 30 to 50% of white males would have been disenfranchised. Of not being property owners. Right, for not being property owners. It, no. It's sort of like life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. If you take away one, then you don't have any. <laughs> yeah. And so yeah. it was the same with white male plant landowners. If, if you took away one, you don't have any. And so, yeah. it, it, so it's that. So it really was a subsection. If you think about the vision, the original vision, it was a subsection of a subsection. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, I, I think what, you're, what you write about um, is uh, how the language of the Declaration, people have written this about the Constitution as well, uh, but the language um, uh, doesn't say anywhere. It doesn't say all um, it does say all men are created equal, but but the notion was that all mankind is created equal, right? Right. But it doesn't say all property owners. It doesn't say um, men and not women, right? Right. right. Um, it doesn't say all white men are created. In other words, the exclusionary uh, uh, adjectives that were in practice at the time are not really part of the document itself. So the document is eternal in that sense. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and these practice, how we, in other words, it's, and I think you make a reference to this, it's almost like a religious text in the sense that we, we study it to try, it's an aspirational text. We try to, we, we try, try to get to it, but we fail. Right. Try over and over again to get as close to it as we can, because the language is superior to our very mortal practice, right? Uh, that, 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 that's perfect. I mean, there, I mean there, there's the idea, I mean, none of us are as moral as the ideals we hope. I, I I think that's just unfortunate. That includes you, Todd. But none of us are, are as are as moral as 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 oh. ideals. I mean, but uh, but so so as, so as a result, you might hear someone say, um, "I I can't embrace the Declaration because Thomas Jefferson owned slaves." You know, you you, you hear that. But the idea of the Declaration is much bigger. Than the imperfections of Thomas Jefferson, it, it it's it's that gap between w what we say and the and, and the application, right? Sort of like being a parent, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. But now you, so you raise two points. It seems to me that are critical to sort of the overarching theme of the book. One is that the Declaration was radical. We'll come back to that in a little bit. But you also um, raise a kind of warning that um, we don't appreciate the Declaration's radicalness and genius in our own time. And, and, I, and I've been thinking about that ever since you, you sent me the manuscript, because, um, you know, we since we last spoke, um, there have been um, there's been a real uh, attack on American history, much of it justified, I would argue, um, the bringing down of statues, the the um, uh, the um, uh, re uh, questioning uh, certain um, uh, 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 presidents um, like Woodrow Wilson, even for instance, mm -hmm. whose name was taken off of this public policy uh, school at, at Princeton because of his really decidedly racist views. I mean, he re, you know he reinstituted segregation in the civil service, mm -hmm. right? I mean, mm -hmm. there are there are objectionable things that were 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 done that would suggest that honoring him, you know, uh, yes, he did some great things, but honoring him in the way that they were honoring him was inappropriate uh, and inconsistent with our understanding of American values today. Certainly, the Confederacy, which I think you could argue was it was anti-Declaration, not not you know that that was a force against the Declaration. Um, uh, the monuments to that have come down, and probably appropriately so, and consistent with a, a reverence for the for the Declaration, but. When you look around and see that kind of there's kind of a wholesale kind of um, uh, 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 um, uh, criticism of the founding that's happening in our present moment, 
Are you concerned that the baby will be thrown out with the bathwater? Oh, I, I am for the reasons you just mentioned because um, history is not a one-size-fits-all proposition. And um, in my view, it is um, to disregard what I consider the 21st century N-word, which, is, which I call nuance. And mm. history is pregnant with nuance. Mm. Uh, it is very easy to say Thomas Jefferson owned slaves, therefore take down the Declaration. I, it's easy to say. Um, I don't know. I, I think um, a document, I mean, you, you, for example, you walk down Paris, the Champs-Élysées, one of the busiest streets in the world. There's a plaque where Thomas Jefferson lived when he was a minister of France. At the bottom of it says, oh, by the way, the guy wrote the Declaration of Independence. <laughs> I, 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 mean, I mean, you have to have nuance. I, I remember, to your point, I just sort of a tongue-in-cheek satire piece I wrote a couple years ago about taking monuments down. And I even got to taking down Lassie. I mean, you, I mean, the point being, because Lassie was not a female, Lassie was a male. The ones they used were male. And for the TV series, it took six Lassies to make one 30-minute TV series because each dog had different tricks. And I'm like, this is, this is hyperbole. Take him down. My point is, you can take down anyone. Now, my, my personal preference is, if you take up arms against the country, you don't get a statue. <laughs> I I I I have no no problem with that. But as I recall, when um, you were on to talk about Lincoln's gamble, and um, I asked you point blank, uh, was uh, uh, Abraham Lincoln a tyrant? Was was habeas corpus unconstitutional? And you said he 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 was a gentle tyrant, but yes, habeas corpus in your view was unconstitutional. So. Any president guilty of violating the Constitution in such a blatant manner ought to come down. Oh, by the way, there was this Saving the Union <laughs> and this Emancipation Proclamation, which, which um, is still one of the best books I've read this decade. Uh, or would it be last decade? This, you know, uh, last decade on, on, those, on those, those, that six-month period that you, that you articulated uh, about the up. up the lead led up to the Emancipation Proclamation. So you got to hold all that stuff. I, I think that one of the things about America and the founding and the way it was written and the vision of the founders is that we're a country that has to live with a little tension. I, 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 I think that's part of the American project. Yes. Uh, and just as a momentary aside here, I'd like to address with you something about the, um, uh, the Emancipation Statue or the Freedman Statue in D.C., which you're probably familiar with yes. at Square. Um, I actually have an op-ed coming out on in USA Today on on Saturday, um, uh, talking about uh, that Lincoln would have been uh, embarrassed and disappointed and by that statue and would have wanted it brought down uh, because he did not think of himself as the great emancipator. Right? He thought that um, uh, uh, that that that. Um, he didn't have the power to uh, free any more than he had the power to enslave that freedom came with your humanity. Right. Mm -hmm. So, which by the way is also consistent with the declaration. You took the words um, right out of my mouth. Go ahead. <laughs> and, and, and Lincoln would have thought me the great emancipator. No, uh, um, you know, God is the great emancipator. Um, I, it, it, it's our humanity that is, should be the key element of our emancipation, um, not brought on by the, the white man to, to bestow and take away, you know. So um, uh, 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 he also mentioned, and I, I, I mentioned this in, in Lincoln's Gamble, but I, um, I, I wanted to stress it as well with you because it's such a wonderful image. He took from the Proverbs the notion of the apple, of, that, that the decoration is the apple of gold framed by the Constitution's picture of silver mm. with the picture, think frame here, made for the apple, not the apple for the picture. In other words, he thought that the Declaration was superior to the Constitution. I know you're, you 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 write about that and yeah. and, and yeah. how the that that um, unusual for a lawyer because as as you know and you mentioned it, you mentioned in the Radical Declaration, the Declaration is not a legal document. No, it doesn't have any any power to be enforced. It's it's a it's it's a it's a um uh, a, a, a rebel tract. It's a it's a it's a it's a um it's a declaration of of grievances it's not a blueprint for government and 
And, and, and yet Lincoln felt that the Declaration was more significant to American identity and more genius in it than the Constitution itself. Of course, particularly the Constitution that enslaved right. uh, um, African-Americans. If I may, I'm going to go back to our interview um, when we talked about Lincoln's gamble. And you said that post-emancipation proclamations when America went from a singular noun to a plural. I mean, from a, from a plural to a singular. Yeah. Um, and and that um, that sort of that was the dynamic that sort of gave us the America that we have today. I would add to that the Declaration's participation in that is when the Fourteenth Amendment was ratified and the yeah. Equal Protection Clause was put in. Yeah. While the Declaration is not, as we both agree, not a legal document, the ethos of the Declaration was placed into the Constitution in that moment. And I think that that was critical for the America that we have today. When the ethos, Greg, go ahead. Greg, I think you could argue that the Constitution is a is a uh, uh, a, a freedom document, but the Declaration is an equality document. Yes, I mean they have one or one part or the other in them. But until we get to the Fourteenth Amendment, we don't have. It's it's as if the the Constitution has this. It's like a machine where one one critical piece of the machine is missing, and that's why it's not turning out not functioning correctly. Right. Then the war, uh, as a result, the war uh, comes because that flaw is 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 keeping us from having a well-oiled machine. And then the Fourteenth Amendment uh, is is what what gives us the declaration, provides the declaration back into the Constitution. Well, well, absolutely, because because you, you talked about leading up to the Civil War, we tried to um, make this American experiment work, taking out Jefferson's critique on the slave trade in the Declaration. Then we tried to make it work by the three-fifths compromise the, uh, for census purposes that the black males were three-fifths of a man. Then we tried to make it work with the Missouri Compromise, and then we tried to make it work with the Kansas-Nebraska Act. And the fact is... Human, there can be no compromise on human dignity, and that, and that's, and that is what the Fourteenth Amendment does. Yes. That I think that's what it does, and that's how we get move forward. That's the oil, in my view. Now, now, one big difference between the Constitution and the Declaration, and I want you to address this because I think it's important um, uh, to your your book, uh, the Radical Declaration, is that God is mentioned in the Declaration, but not in the Constitution. Um, I mean, I, uh, endowed by their creator, mm -hmm, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and that references, in a sense, natural law, right? And that that's significant. I, I, I speak to that with me for a little bit about the importance of the Declaration as a document, and I don't mean necessarily as a religious document, but but as a document that that derives its power from natural law, from the from the notion that the creator whoever that may have been, whatever force that may have been, um, uh, provides this humanity. Um, and it's not given by any human force. Well, well, the, well the Declaration uh, of Independence, uh, in the sense, like the Emancipation Proclamation and, and Lincoln being one of the great disciples of the Declaration of Independence, his understanding of it, it's a moral document. It is a moral document. And, um, I mean... It, it's not a it's not a Christian document um, any more than America is a Christian nation. A, a lot of the founders were deists, um, and, and but they they and, and they did not believe that that there was some sort of cosmic bean counter, you know, counting the affairs of each individual and and was involved in every little thing. But they did believe in, that there was this creator, and this creator made everyone equal. So the, so the Declaration. Of independence is a lot of things, but it is first and foremost a moral document. If you read that second paragraph, and, and I think I give it some treatment in in um, I think the third essay I give it some treatment, but 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 they basically say, and they, and they line it out for future groups to do likewise. In that second paragraph, they say we have a problem. Here's how we believe that problem can be addressed, and we feel that we are morally justified to address the problem th in this manner. See, I mean, and that's the power of the Declaration. We have an issue. This is how we think we should address it. 
And we feel we're morally obligated and justified to address it this way based on this creator that made us all equal. And you hear that in women's suffrage. You hear that in civil rights movement. You hear even in Black Lives Matter. So it just goes through the American narrative. Yes, that's a very interesting point. So there's there's a moral uh, crusade inherent in the American idea. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. In, my, in my view, in my view, yeah. yes. No, I agree with you. I agree with you. I think it provides the kind of righteousness that leads to the rights movements, of, as you just mentioned, of the 60s. Really, well, for the rights movements of the... Uh, but it gives the, it gives moral purpose to the Civil War to begin with, right? Absolutely, I mean, absolutely. When Jefferson Davis gave his farewell address uh, uh, from the Senate uh, in in uh, what January of eighteen sixty one, he gave his interpretation of the Declaration of Independence. Um, when President Elect Lincoln, on his way to Washington D.C., stopped in Philadelphia, Lincoln says. Um, I've had no political thought that wasn't somehow connected to the Declaration of Independence. And then that little, little town in um, um, Gettysburg, yeah, that's it. Four score and seven years ago, our fathers yeah. brought forth to this country a new nation conceived in liberty and dedicated to the proposition that all men are created equal. So the, it is the moral touchstone. You, if you look through, through the American narrative and you look for movements that justify their actions, they may, they may cite the Constitution, but they invariably go back to the declaration as the moral touchstone to legitimize their efforts. I, on that point, I was interested to see that when you, you outlined what you thought that were the three most important documents to the American um, uh, identity, uh, you referenced the declaration, the constitution and the emancipation proclamation, but you didn't mention the Gettysburg address, which of course in many ways is a, an echo of the declaration. Well, well, it's funny because the Gettysburg Address uh, is 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 in my view a great speech, it, the greatest speech. I mean, it, it is, it is the greatest speech. I mean, Lincoln, in 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 two minutes, summed up the American narrative from 1776 to 1863. That's pretty good. You can do that in two minutes in, in a coherent in a coherent manner. Uh, but I look at those three documents. I look at those three documents. You don't have a constitution without the Declaration of Independence. And for Lincoln to craft the, um, the I can't even remember besides states in rebellion, I can't remember anything from the Emancipation Proclamation, but, but for Lincoln to craft the Emancipation Proclamation, it was based on his understanding of the Declaration. So, the, so, they, so they go hand in hand, and, and, and the Emancipation Proclamation going forward is part of who we are today. Yeah and, yeah. and if it wasn't for those things, we wouldn't be who we are today. So that's why I picked those three, and that's how I get the name of the program, The Public Morality, because those three documents, to me, really sum up our public morality. Yeah. Um, you said something that, uh, an, an idea that has been stuck with me uh, since I first read it a few weeks ago, the death by a thousand cuts. Mm-hmm. Um, how we are we are sort of losing touch with the declaration in a death by a thousand cuts the little things well you explain the idea the the, the notion that this is not no one's no one is um uh, uh avoiding the declaration of independence or or uh vetoing it or or uh, uh annihilating it but a thousand cuts. What are these thousand cuts you're referencing? Well, well there, 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 there are there are a lot of things. There are more than a thousand, but I'll give an example of how it works. First, it's 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 anything that slowly moves us away from this ethos of the Declaration, and I wonder at some point beyond the hot dogs and picnics and ball game and holiday that we won't even recognize this document, and that that's my fear. But I'll give you a, a condensed version. You know, let, let's take uh, the Vietnam War. And uh, obviously we, we, we bl- play, place a lot of blame and justifiably so on Lyndon Johnson. But if you think about it, 1945 at the uh, Potsdam Conference, um, they were dividing the spoils of victory. And it was okay for France to go back to Indochina. And, 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 and resume uh, the colonial exports. Um, 
About the same time, Ho Chi Minh, speaking to what he thought was a united Vietnam, begins his speech by saying, we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal, endowed by the creator with certain inalienable rights, and among them, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. I don't know, Todd. I think if, if that's your first, if that's your first uh, statement to a united uh, country, you're an ally. That's, just, that's how I see that. But anyway, we allow we allow that to happen. So there, there's Truman sort of kicking the can down the road. Is it a big deal? No, I mean, who, who cares? It's not even on anybody's radar. Then you have uh, the Geneva Conference um, for to to consolidate um, uh, to to end the Korean War, and part of that agreement in that Geneva Conference included an election to be held uh, that would unify North and South Korea. Um, Diem is in, in charge in South Korea. Ho Chi Minh is uh, in the north. Ho Chi Minh is a communist. That's a dirty word. And uh, Eisenhower writes to his brother. You know, I'm hearing if they had a, if they had an election, um, Ho Chi Minh would win in a landslide. We can't have communist takeover. We're under the ethos of the domino theory. And so uh, Diem not only is brutalizing his people, he was Catholic, especially the Buddhists, but there's no election and we don't call him on it. That's another. That's another death by a thousand. That's another one of those death by a thousand cuts. Is it a big deal yet? No. Um, then John F. Kennedy's president. See, John's not even president yet. Now John F. Kennedy's president, and uh, uh, his uh, secretary of South Vietnam, uh, Henry Cabot Lodge, sends a memo, cable two forty three. We ought to support the coup against DM. Um, Kenny doesn't make a de- doesn't make a decision. This is in August of '63. Kenny doesn't make a decision until the the palace is surrounded on November second, 1963. Then Kenny decides to support support the coup. Um, all all along, you just you see these efforts. You see these efforts sort of just kicking the can down the road. Just and and what I go back to was we had to ignore our founding see to get to for these to kick the can down the road we had to ignore that we took on the greatest military might of the time the british empire and we won what was essentially a guerrilla warfare i mean we didn't defeat the british we 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 just got this we got them to a point they said you know what this is just not worth it you know take it go bye see you later um, and we, f- we ignored our founding to make decisions in the moment, um, realpolitik, but I would argue those are all, that's a condensed version of death by a thousand cuts moving away from our origin and, and, and look at, you know, the result of that. So by the time Johnson got it, it was already a mess. Are you seeing, uh, in the, the that's a very good historical analysis, but I'm thinking of the present moment. What, what cuts do we see in the present moment? That, that concern. Oh, oh, God. Um, oh, I, 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 I think there's a, there's, there's a number of cuts. I, you know, I, I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to pick uh, on him, but he's, a, he's such an easy target right now. But there should not be any ground. It's not a law. Maybe it should be a law. There should not be any ground, though, that a president of the United States could even have the appearance. Uh, of, of making decisions that that benefit him financially, and if you look the, if you look the other way uh, on that, you open the door for to normalize that behavior. Um, let's take Senator um, uh, I mean, President Barack Obama nominated Merrick Garland when Anthony Scalia died. Well, the Constitution says that uh, the Senate has advise and consent that's their role but 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 what happened there was uh the senate decided that um garland wasn't even going to get a hearing um it, once you go down that road now do you normalize that and once you normalize that now are we saying um from the constitution's advise and consent are we now saying well it depends on who has the majority of the senate that determines if you get a Supreme Court justice in, I, I I don't think that that's consistent with the values. And so, how do you you, you got to stop that when it happens? And if you just if you just if I just let it go because my side 
is doing it and I support my side, then, 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 then I think that then we, we, we lose the ethos of the declaration. I thought you'd go a little different play, although I get all those points. But I, I'm thinking, um, to me, um, the, the scene that happened a few weeks ago um, when the troops were unleashed on the protesters in Lafayette Square. Oh. And, 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 the, and the crowd was parted so that the president could walk with a Bible to a church and hold it up for a picture was to me the epitome of the rejection of the Declaration's value. Oh, I, well, you're, Todd, you're absolutely right. The problem is there's so many of these things. I can't. There are. There are so many. <laughs> yes, there are. But I'm, I'm wondering whether you see. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I, 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 well, first of all, first of all, first of all, you know, you're, 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 you're turning the military on American the citizens. People, on the people. On yes. we the people. Uh, that, that, that's just gross violation, number, you know, number, number one. And to, what would Jefferson say to that, for instance? Uh, oh, oh, I, I, I think. I, I, I think yeah. I don't I mean I think Jefferson would be astounded. I mean I think Jefferson, Adams, uh yeah. Hamilton, I think they all would be astounded. You know, one of the I mean I've long held this belief. I, I can't prove it. But um the 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 animosity between Harry Truman and Douglas MacArthur go went beyond Korea in my view. I thought it starts back in at the end of World War One, when the veterans wanted their benefits mm-hmm. and the bonus, the bonus. they wanted their bonuses, their pension, and what is this, 1928, 29, somewhere around there? Yeah, right, right before the, the collapse of right. the stock market and all, yeah. And, 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 then you, and, then, and then there were guns pointed toward those veterans. And Harry Truman said the greatest thing he did was being captain of World War One. So I always thought that some, and, and MacArthur was behind that. So I, I, I thought there was always some animosity with Harry Truman yep. and Douglas brother that goes back to that. And the mere yep. f- fact that you would have a commander-in-chief, in this case for a photo op, that has to be roundly condemned. It's, that's not just Republicans. I mean, it's not just Democrats in this case. That has to be roundly condemned. This is not whatever we the people are. That's not it. <laughs> and, 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 and there can never be a place for that. Ever. Yeah. Yeah. You mentioned, though, in the book that you don't think America's facing any kind of existential threat. And I'm wondering if you feel that now. Uh, I'm assuming that was written months ago, or maybe not longer than that. I don't know how long the process was, and we'll get to that. I like to get the process of your writing of the book, but I, I wonder, given the trio of, of very serious issues we're facing now, we have a, a pandemic that is uh, uh, running rampant. We have, um, we we have an economic crisis that mm-hmm. could match the Great Depression. We have. Um, uh, uh, racial strife in the streets and, uh, and uh, uh, between um, um, the law enforcement and, and, and protesters. Um, we have a crisis in leadership on top of that, right? Um, we have a, um, an electoral system that is under threat because of those, some of these things like the pandemic. How are people going to vote when there's when um, when you, you, standing lines may bring danger to them? All these things. Now, when you look at this, and do you, do you still uh, feel that the U.S. does not face a, an existential threat, or do you see something in that that can actually spell doom for some of these values that we hold so dear? Well, an existential threat. Now, I did I did hold out that our that our greatest threat is standing ominously in the mirror, <laughs> and and I and I think that we are our own threat. Now, I, I, I think that, you know, we are our own threat. When, again, when you look at history, you look at the Roman Empire, the British Empire, the Ottoman Empire, um, there was no, there was once the British Empire and then someone came and defeated them. No, empires implode from within. Now, I do think we are a, a, a huge threat um, to us. Um, the things you mentioned, um, you, you look at the greatest threat still to us uh, is the Civil War. Well, we had an Abraham Lincoln guiding us through that. Um, we had, an depre- we had a, de- a Great Depression and um, uh, a, um, uh, World War II. We had Franklin Roosevelt you know, guiding us through that. Um, 
I do wonder if, uh, if our luck ran out that there, w- there wasn't a Roosevelt or a Lincoln available um, in, in, in for the present crisis. And and I think that we are we are we are paying dearly um, uh, for that. I think I think we've had uh, again. I'm going to sound like one of the founders now. Providence has been with us in the previous crisis. I don't know if Providence is with us now, and we're left alone uh, with only our own. Uh, devices to help us, and we're and we're not doing a very good job of that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and of course, we have this question as a historian. You'll appreciate it that do the times create leaders like that, or do leaders like that create the times? You know, so that's an interesting one to consider. But you know, a lot of people have actually thought that the Declaration, which is a product of the Enlightenment, right? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, that the Enlightenment itself is under threat uh, in our own time, and that the three hundred some four hundred some year reign of the of Enlightenment values is now un, 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 in, in question, particularly when you think of things like the devaluing of science, for instance, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, the devaluing of reason. Um, that we're entering into a period where. The kinds of things that um, that that we took for granted that um, reasoned argument was better than violence that um, that scientific the scientific method and provable results should guide us right the the, the notion of free thinking and of um, uh, uh, first amendment values for instance of free expression and all that those are all enlightenment derived principles but now we see for instance I mean I heard Anthony Fauci a couple of days ago saying, well, you know, if the vaccine comes, uh, um, we may very well be able to, to quiet down this pandemic, but only if there's enough people who want to take the vaccine. Mm-hmm. And anti-vaccine movement, which is driven by an anti-science movement, which also is, you know, um, directing, directed against the um, uh, issues of the environment and refusing to believe certain certain things that science can, can prove, um, we may have a new period of human history here where those values are not as appreciated as they were when the enlightenment during the enlightenment and the, and the society that it spawned. Well, you, you make a great point. I would, I would only say to that, um, as I wrote in that, in the, in the text that the, this document is only as radical as we want it to be. Mm-hmm. And, um, I think it, it's being tested now, but, I, but I think it can endure. I, I, in fact, I'll, I'll go on record. I, I don't, I don't, I haven't said this before, but I'll go on record right now. I think the Declaration of Independence is what's on the ballot in November. I think that's what's on the ballot. Because if the Declaration wins, then science wins. You know, know, liberty wins. Equality wins. Uh, if, If it loses, then all your concerns will come to fruition. So I, I, w- I would say that I believe the Declaration of Independence is, is really was on the ballot in November. Brilliant idea. Very interesting. Good, good op-ed for you to write, it seems. <laughs> perfect topic. No, it's interesting. It's a ser- it puts all those things together, absolutely. Um, when you look at the uh, uh, movement in the streets that's going on now, mm-hmm. do you see that as a reaffirmation of the Declaration? Yeah, in certain ways, uh, in certain ways, yeah. I mean, in a macro sense, yes. Now, now we're all we all pick and choose our sides if we like this issue or we're uncomfortable with that issue. But in a macro sense, it is a reaffirmation of the Declaration because if you begin, the Declaration of Independence was written by a group of people who were marginalized by the by the larger culture. They were marginalized, and as I said earlier. They, they, they wrote a document that said that we have a problem. Let's just take Black Lives Matter, for, for, for example, and I'll juxtapose the two. Black Lives Matter is a group that feels marginalized, and they also say we have a problem. Black, the Declaration said we're a marginalized group who believes we need to address the problem this way. Black Lives Matter says the exact same thing. And then, we, then they, it concludes in that second paragraph with a moral justification. And I think so. I think Black Lives Matter does the same thing. So I think in that macro sense, they are in. They are definitely in that tradition. In fact, we have never had 
a movement that made the country better that was not in that grand tradition of the founders that were for whatever reason declared themselves marginalized and and moved the country closer to its vaunted statement in the preamble of the constitution we the people and giving it some clearer definition you think and you have a whole section on the on the marginalization question in uh, a whole essay about it right in, mm-hmm. in the which i think is wonderful um do you believe that your attitude uh uh about the declaration about the founding documents um, well, particularly about the Declaration, I should say, is shared by African Americans today. Uh, I, I, uh, no, it's hard to generalize. No, but, I, right? I, I, I'm going to answer. I'm going to answer this way. A dear, dear, dear friend of mine, uh, who I've never mentioned on the air before, and her name, her name is Spook Jenkins, and uh, she said to me yesterday, you know. After reading uh, your book, I now feel, and she's African-American, I now feel that I can celebrate the Declaration in an authentic way, my way, because I am, because I am just uh, as invested as anyone else, and, I, and, and you've given me a different way to look at it. I, I, I think that if, if, we just, if we just embrace the narratives. If we leave it at white male landowners wasn't written for me, then you probably will reject it. Um, it requires some nuance. It requires some digging. But if but if one read some of the speeches of uh, of Martin Luther King, uh, I mean, I think one of the brilliant things that King did was that he wove together the the, the Declaration. And in the Constitution, particularly the 14th Amendment, to justify the efforts uh, of the Civil Rights Movement and that what they were doing was inconsistent with the founders uh, uh, who dug, who first dug those well, deep wells of democracy. I would wonder, uh, uh, I have a young African-American friend who tells me, I mean, he's young, he's in his late 20s or early 30s. Baby, he's a baby. <laughs> <laughs> and he said that he gets very frustrated with his church because the elders of his church, he said, are sort of of the Martin Luther King generation. And their, their spirit is one of patience and appreciation and that, t- that, that things will evolve gradually over time. And he feels quite radicalized by the present moment. Mm-hmm. And he says, uh, he's Malcolm X to their, to their Martin Luther King at the moment. And he's very angry. Um, and he said, there's, there's a real divide there. Mm-hmm. Right, mm-hmm. Uh, uh, and you can see the political divide. I mean, the uh, older African American community uh, ba- basically um, is the reason why Joe Biden is going to be the nominee of the Democratic Party in, for president this year mm-hmm. because of the the vote they gave in South Carolina was the turning point, right? Right. Uh, but that younger uh, African Americans don't ne- still want him to prove something to them, right? And that they're frustrated with this with the attitude of patience that, yes, you're absolutely right. Martin Luther King made reference to the Declaration consistently in his speeches, mm-hmm, right? I mean, mm-hmm. that, but there is a sense that it has not been lived out um, uh, in, in American life, particularly as it's lived by African Americans, and that um, a, a society that does not live out its documents, live out its values, um, could be accused of rejecting those values or not appreciating uh, uh, them as as the founding elements of their identity. Oh, oh I think you. I, th- I think you're right. I, I I would I would um I would offer this cautionary note to your friend though. The civil rights movement, and, I, and I'm I'm not saying this to say they need to be like the civil rights movement. They you know they they need to to push back in the way they feel is best for them. So I'm not telling them they need to push back, but I would, I would say this. The civil rights movement did not jump up and have a protest because four little girls were killed at the 16th Street Baptist Church. They didn't have a protest because James Reeb was killed in Selma. It, it was ongoing because the only way change is created in this country is that when you want change, you by definition begin as the minority opinion. And you begin in a reactionary mode. And, and I say the change occurs when you 
build the requisite momentum so that what was once reactive becomes proactive. And that's ongoing. That's not, that's not just a moment. That is Brown versus Board of Education. That is the Montgomery bus boycott. That is Greensboro. That is Albany, Georgia. I'm just, I'm, 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 again, I'm just saying it takes a while. From, so you figure from Brown versus Board of Education to the Voting Rights Act was 11 years. And it takes a sustained effort. Uh, one last thing I'll say about that is that in 1963, prior to the police dogs and fire hoses, Gallup-Pole had civil rights as a national issue at 4%. Overnight after, overnight after the police dogs and fire hoses, uh, civil rights to a national issue became 51%. So you have to ch you have to sustain efforts which changes the public narrative, and I think that that's um, what I would say to your friend. You could make a, a similar comparison, um, uh, and I've seen polling on this um, about uh, uh, police conduct with respect to uh, the moment of George Floyd's uh, killing mm -hmm. uh, before that and after that. Yes, you know? yes, and, and I and it's a very interesting thing that. Um, history, particularly modern history, is often driven by these kind of icon iconographic images, right? Um, and particularly the civil rights movement, we think of, of Emmett Till, we think of uh, the Selma March, we think of the the, the uh, Birmingham um, bombing, we think of the we think of um, uh, uh, equally then of, of, of George Floyd right mm -hmm. now. Uh, and I was saying to someone the other day that one of the interesting things about the George Floyd video is that its power is not in being a video. Its fat power is almost the power of a still image in that nothing happens in that video for eight, uh, eight minutes and 46 seconds except that a man is killed. Mm -hmm. And it's the image of the knee on the neck that can be isolated out as, as, a, as a powerful image to tell us what really happens as opposed to a moving image, which is much more much harder to sort of freeze and its importance you know well, no, you're right because when guns are, when guns are, if someone gets shot that happens in a moment like when oswald shot jack ruby i mean Os, you know he's been shot boom but eight minutes you got to sit there with that you got to yeah. sit with that and and sitting with it taps into one's to the soul of the individual and how do i feel about this does this reflect the america that i thought i was living in no it doesn't no 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 it doesn't so uh Tell me a little bit about the, about the the way that you because I like the, the the creating of of this book. You it's a series of essays. Mm -hmm. It's not it's not a history in the sense, traditional sense. It's actually kind of um, uh, 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 it, it's separate sort of thought pieces. I would argue on on the declaration. Um, how did you come to that idea? Well, I um. I, I, I wrote the first essay, just, was, is it radical? <laughs> and I said, I need, I, need a, I need more than a first act. <laughs> yeah. And, um, you know, there, 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 were, there, were, there, the, there were things that have always touched me. Like the Benjamin Rush speech, I've always, I've always loved that speech because I thought that Benjamin Rush tapped into something that we often forget, that the American Revolution is this ongoing thing. It's, just, it's, it's, it's not, it wasn't a war. It's this yeah. idea. The revolution is the idea. And, 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 and so I wanted to build an essay around that. And then, and then for, for some of the things that you, you and I have been talking about today, and I said, well, then how would someone who, for whatever reason, black, women, LGBT, how, how do you look at this document if you've been systematically... If you've been systematically um, uh, marginalized, how should how how should you look at this document? How how should this document look to you? And so I wanted to write an essay about that. And then you can't write an essay. Um, this is my ode to Todd Brewster. You can't write an essay if you don't reconcile the ideals of liberty and equality. If you're going to talk about the Declaration of Independence, you've got to reconcile those two arguments in, in some way. Yeah. And so that that so that 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 seemed to be the process, and and it's it's deliberately short. When I mean by deliberately short, because I didn't want to get into the weeds. I wanted I wanted to give people enough to think. I you know again, I'm not trying to provide the answer. I'm trying to provide a a, a platform for conversation.
Well, and I think for someone who thinks they know the Declaration of Independence or doesn't care to know the Declaration of Independence, uh, this book is a an antidote to those two feelings. Because uh, to, to me, um, it's not a, a dense history tract where you are wading through the history of the founders, which is you know has its place. It's 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 also um, uh, not a kind of uh, uh, deification of the of the um, of the founders or of or of the document. It is an opportunity to think about the real radical consequences of the document and implications of the document. I, I'm, I'm, I, the Benjamin Rush was some as a point I wanted to bring up to you because, as you point out, Rush says the, de the revolution was not the one that was fought with gunpowder and rifles. It's the one that is will will take generations and 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 it's fought out in the changing of minds and in the and the and the and the realization will take will take centuries. Essentially, is what he's implying to actually take place, and that's what's happened, right? And it made me think about um, Rip Van Winkle. Remember the book yes, Rip Van yes. Winkle? Yes. Uh, who falls asleep and wakes up, and, and, and part of the theme of that book is that we had lost touch with the Declaration. Right. He wakes up, it's like uh, he's, he's expecting to see the country the Declaration was going to create, and in fact that there was wor a lot of worries at the time that we were drifting from what that original American idea had been. And so this, this notion of being concerned about whether, whether the Declaration still is carrying its impact and its power forward, what you're doing here is is consistent with what what some of the we're, we're worried about at the beginning of the country and in, into the first decades would we lose touch Would this experiment which by the way nobody believed would actually right. live on would, would this experiment fail and um so your 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 book is is in a very distinguished long line of of of, of um writers who have attempted to mine this subject as a um uh, as, as an important element of re and this of course you know Jefferson wanted us to sort of reinvent ourselves every 20 years or so this, these books are what make us do that right well thank you I mean that's that, that, that is high praise indeed thank you sir well I, I, I again repeat what a what a wonderful uh, piece of work it is that you've done here and um, I urge everyone uh, when the book is finally published that to go out and get it and um, uh, 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 and, and see for themselves. I want to thank today's guest host, Todd Brewster, as well as our previous hosts, Professor Corey Bretschneider and the Reverend Terrence Hawkins. The Public Morality welcomes your comments. You can contact me at byron at publicmorality.org. That's byron, B-Y-R-O-N, at publicmorality.org. You can follow me on Facebook as well as Twitter. The archive broadcasts, including the series of guest host interviews, can be found on iTunes and SoundCloud. And once again, I'm indebted to Elvin Jenkins and Michael Burns at WJAB in Huntsville, Alabama for allowing us to broadcast the public morality at their studios. The public morality is produced at WSNC on the campus of Winston-Salem State University. In the words of Martin Luther King, we may have come on different ships. We're in the same boat now. For all of us at the public morality, I'm Byron Williams. <laughs>